Okay, you have been anxiously waiting for this day. My last sermon on stewardship. I've enjoyed walking through this with you. If if it is if it is God's essential nature to give, and it is, for God loves the world so much that he gave, and it's his will that we gave, give. And if it's his desire for us to give, then Satan will want to do everything he can to keep us from it. And just in case you didn't have enough excuses of your own, I found some more. Um, Here's why uh, the devil doesn't want us to give. I hope you can read that, but. He doesn't want us to give in January because Christmas bills are due. And in February, because of fuel bills and car upkeep. In March, because taxes are coming. And in April, because we have to have all those clothes for Easter. In May, uh, graduation gifts and expenses. I had to change this a little bit. This was for a farming community. And said in May, there's not enough rain for the crop. And. June, there's too much rain for the crop, so I just change it in May, graduation gifts. In June, maybe you can give a little something. Okay, Got a free date, free month in there. In July, because vacations are coming up, and August, because vacation expenses need to be paid. In September, children's school needs. In, winter, October, in October, winter clothes and doctor's bills. In November, the Thanksgiving trip. And in Christmas, December, Christmas is coming again. You start it over again. He doesn't want us to give. But when we do give, sometimes we have wrong motives. And sometimes we have motives like, my church has needs, so I'm going to give. Uh, That it does, and you ought to, but that's not the motive inside. Or just out of loyalty to the church, or if a church puts pressure on you to give. Uh, Some of us give because of a tax exemption. I think that's being lowered, right? Sometimes we give because it it soothes our conscience or because we have fear or a duty. We owe a tithe. Maybe you give because you like missionaries. (laughs) So do I. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul taught the Corinthians to give and he taught them how to give. There's a difference, but they are twin differences. To give and how to give. We want to walk through that together today, but just to give a little bit of background on um, the giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there was a need among the churches. Remember, the church was new. The book of Acts tells us about the, the church being born and Accordingly, there were needs. Um, I just put this up to give you a a little bit of an idea. Um, Clear over here, Jerusalem, Paul now has just opened all of this area up to the gospel. But being over here in Jerusalem, um, there's a need. In fact, um, Acts chapter 11 says, a prophet came along and prophesied there's going to be a famine in Judea, including Jerusalem. And so the saints who were at Jerusalem were experiencing a famine. Plus, um, 
persecution had come to them, and some of them, many of them lost their jobs. Well, there was a great need for the church there. So Paul reminds them of that. When he writes to the church at Galatia, he says, remember the poor. Um, in the book of Romans, he says, I want you to share with the saints in Jerusalem. And he's writing to Gentile believers, and he says, you know, if you share with them in the faith into which you were adopted, if you share in that way spiritually, you also ought to share with them physically in this matter of giving. Um, if you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 8, I want you to turn back just a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, because the, the Corinthians also were involved in this. And um, Corinth, in that day at least, was quite a long distance from Jerusalem. But Corinth had made an agreement, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, um, where he told them that they ought to give, remember the poor, you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So here's the setting for the letter of, of, of 2 Corinthians, and particularly verses 8 and 9. There's a great need for the churches in Jerusalem, for the saints that are there, and God has blessed you there at Corinth and in all the other churches, and you need to help out by sending a gift. So I'm going to go... Um, fairly rapidly, I guess, this morning through 10 principles that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Now, some of you have made a habit of, of taking notes, and this morning I would really encourage you to do that, the notes that I've provided for you, because uh, 10 is a lot harder to remember than 3. All right? So, 10 principles of giving. And the first one is simply to express God's grace. Um, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, this speaks in this, this the context here speaks of a grace that is an ability to give. Um, I want you also to look at uh, verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. So giving, Paul says, is an act of grace. Verse 7, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and our love for you, you excel in all those things. I want you to excel also in this act of grace, in giving. Um, chapter 9, verse 14, while they long for you, the the, the people to whom you will give while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. As you give, you express God's grace. I'm going to call this the pass it on principle. We have received of God's grace and we pass on um, this, this same grace. The second principle is the principle of generosity. I'm going to call it the harvest principle because that's what Paul called it. Uh, chapter 8, verse 2. Uh, 
back up to verse 1, he's reminding them of the churches in Macedonia. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Can you do math? This is just simple addition. Affliction plus joy plus extreme poverty equals generosity. I wouldn't have put those together. Not, not just affliction, I'm sorry. A severe test of affliction. Abundance of joy. Extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I'm, I'm going to be just going back and forth through these two chapters when it comes to one particular aspect of giving. Over in chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly. But, but God, I have every right to sow sparingly. You, you see this affliction and this poverty that I'm in? How can I give? Well, it overflowed with famine generosity. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's, that's God's math. That's just simply God's math. Verse 10 of, of chapter 9. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Okay, so I'm poor. I don't have a lot of income, so I'm going to sow really sparingly. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Um, but poverty is not the only issue here. It's proportion, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Paul also wrote to, to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, but to set their hopes on uncertainty of, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Principle of generosity. The third principle um, give sacrificially. I'm going to call this the Please let me give more principle. Chapter 8, verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. I saw it. I was there and I realized they don't have the ability to give like they're giving. But they're giving. And they, they, they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You know, it, it almost sounds to me like Paul was saying, look, you guys, you are really impoverished and, and all that you're going through, you don't have to help provide for this gift. They begged them. They begged us earnestly for the favor in taking part in this relief of the saints. Please let us do this. I love that. Ah. Uh. 
Never seen a congregation yet, though, that stood up and said, Pastor, please let us give to the church. Though, I trust that's in your heart. The fourth uh, principle of giving, give to excel or finish, to finish well. I'm going to call this the, the completion principle. Um, verse 5. It seems there was a little issue with procrastination. Okay? Verse 5, and this they gave, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. He started out that way. Um, we want to finish it. Uh, again, verse 7, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, See that you excel in this grace also. Um, I believe that some scholars have estimated it was about a year before, when I read to you from 1 Corinthians 16, it was about a year before that they said, yes, we will certainly get to that need. So here we are a year later, and, and Paul's saying, well, there's a completion principle, folks. You've been procrastinating long enough. So... Put off your procrastination for another day. And today, give. Complete what you have promised. I think sometimes it's easy to make a promise and say, well, well Lord, I, I know there's a need and, and I'll promise. I'll get around to it. And things happen and uh, stuff gets in the way and there's expenses. I know. God says, complete what you have started. The fifth principle, give to prove your love. The sincerity principle. The sincerity principle. Uh, chapter 8, verse 8. I say this not as a command. Paul isn't putting pressure that I command you to give, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul's throwing a lot of math into here, and he's, he's also given us a comparison here. Jesus had the riches of glory. He came down here to the earth in extreme poverty, so that we in our poverty spiritually might be brought back up to the, to the riches that we are promised in heaven. That's what God has done for us. Prove. Give evidence to this earnestness. Um, go over to verse 24 of, of chapter 8. The last verse in, cha in chapter 8. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Love is one of those words throughout Scripture. Almost every place you, you see it. Love is always an action verb. It is easy for anyone to come along and say, I love you. How do you demonstrate that love? God said he loves us, for God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. And he says, I want you to prove this love. In fact, remember Paul's love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all, all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, 
But if I have not love, I gain nothing. 1 John 3.17 If anyone has the world's needs and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? Our giving, the demonstration of love, by doing, by acting, demonstrates that love. It proves that that love, love of God is in our life. Number six, give proportionately. I'm going to call it the ratio principle. Give proportionately. Chapter 8, verse 11. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring, it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I'm not expecting that you have all that great wealth. If you don't have that great wealth, give a, a portion. And throughout the Old Testament, it was at least that tithe. And some folks say, well, I'm glad we don't have to give the tithe anymore. We're finally in the New Testament, and others say, eh, I don't know. Um, tithe is mentioned uh, uh, quite often in the Old Testament. Twice in the New Testament, even under uh, uh, shady circumstances, because God said to the uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, "You know, you guys tithe even of your spices, one tenth of your dill and one one tenth of your cumin, and well, all this kind of stuff. You you tithe that, but you've forgotten the greater aspects of the law of giving sacrificially." Um, A Gallup survey a few years back told us that one half of all the charitable contributions in the United States come from households with incomes of less than 30000 You can go in and check around. You'll find a lot of statistics about giving. Um, if tithing is our, is our goal, at least, or our standard, um, believers, Christians, if we can trust the Gallup polls and so forth, we're giving somewhere around a whopping 3%, something like that. Um, a survey um, a few years back said that from in, in 2005, people that gave for religious reasons um, were 64%. And now in 2017, only 52% of people give. We've dropped. In secular, uh, giving to secular causes, it dropped from 76% to 75%. So those who are giving to religious causes have dropped quite significantly. Paul says, give proportionately. What has God given you? Give out of that proportionately. Now, that may be to start with a tenth. Um, you have read stories and heard stories, I'm sure. Laterno was one of them, a, a man of God down in Texas who uh, developed machines, and he said he gave 90% and lived on 10%. Well, we could get really fussy and say, well, Laterno, you might have been able to give 95% and live on 5 That's none of our business, what he gives. But give proportionately. Um, 
Number seven, give in order to meet needs. That's exactly what was going on here. And, um, well, here in verse 13 of chapter 8, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. There, I've just given you evidence that the Bible supports socialism. (laughs) Not at all. Not a bit. You know, uh, it seems all this, this, uh, it, it, it is really sad. It is really sad to me, this rush after socialism. Um, it, it's almost like buying votes because I'll give you a bunch of free stuff. And everybody likes free stuff. I want you to notice the principle that was happening in, in um, Jerusalem and other places, Christians, uh, Almost were without income at all. No jobs, there's a famine, and and they were really hard up. So Paul comes along and says, at the present time, God has given you much. And I'm I'm not demanding this. I'm not taking your income and giving it to these. I'm not talking about equality like that, but I'm talking about fairness. Right now, God has blessed you. So bless those who don't have very much. Someday you may not have much and they will be able to help you out. I'm talking about an issue of fairness. And throughout the scriptures, whether Old Testament or New, giving was, other than the 10th the required in the Old Testament, giving was voluntary. And it was no forced uh, handing off your funds to someone else. Not there. Give to meet needs. Uh, Number eight is to give systematically. To give systematically. Chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction, not like a tax, not not like uh, um, I'm demanding it of you. I read almost the same thing in 1 Corinthians 16 a while ago. Everybody on the first day of the week set something aside. Do it planned. I don't know if there's still people in churches. I'm not looking at any of you. I'm not, I don't know if there's still people in churches that, well, because I'm in church Sunday, I'll put in 10, I'll put in well, maybe 20. When I'm not here, they can get along. I, I don't know if you ever realize this, but when you're, not, when you're not in church that morning, whether you're in church that morning or not, Believe it or not, we still turn on the lights, and we still turn up the heat, and we still support our pastor, and we still support all our missionaries, whether you're in church that Sunday or not. So Paul said, I want you to plan ahead. I want you to give on a plan basis. I want you to set it aside, 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. I don't want to come and having to be like a like a fundraiser and drag it out of you. In fact, you shouldn't give because a pastor would stand up here and try to drag it out of you either. That's not the basis for giving. Never. Never. We'll ask our new candidate what he thinks of that. Never. But give systematically. 
Now, I don't mean that. I don't believe that means every one of us on the first day of the week. You may get paid monthly. Uh, if you're a farmer, you got paid once a year. And so it goes. Number nine, give willingly. I'm going to call it the cheerful principle. This is the one we've all memorized, I'm sure. Chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's the plan part. Not reluctantly, never under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I, I checked the, the Greek language out carefully and those, that word all that's repeated three times, each time it means all. so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, I know what's coming. We're supposed to give cheerfully. And frankly, I'm not very cheerful about things. I don't like what's going on at church. I'm not cheerful about it. So I'm not going to give because if I gave, it would break something that's in the Word. God wants me to give when I'm cheerful. Well, there's another verse someplace, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but it says, God loves a cheerful giver, but he will receive it even from an old grouch. <laughs> Probably something somebody made up, right? Give cheerfully. It's like when the plate goes by or you drop it in the box in the back, uh, the minute it, it leaves your finger, oh, I... I Oh, I got that bill tomorrow. I wish I had that done. I realize that a lot of things that happen in our life, we can't plan ahead like the car breaks down. I'm going to the mechanic on Tuesday. Can't plan those things, but we can plan ahead for giving. And we trust God will take care of the needs. And we can do it cheerfully. And finally, give to serve. And I'm going to call this a make my day principle. Chapter 9, the last few verses, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's taking care of that need, but also it's overflowing into people saying thank you to God. Many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. They're glorifying God because you are submitting to Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You just made their day. You gave. You met a need. They couldn't possibly see how they were going to not only the next meal, but how are they going to survive? Somebody years ago, and the author is unknown, but I, I'm going to share it with you. He just wrote some words on generosity. I've never known a generous person to complain about how much money it takes to run a church. I've never known a family who tithed for any length of time who quit. I've never known a generous family that was not generally happy. I've never known a stingy, miserly family that was not generally unhappy about lots of things. 
I have never known a person who was critical of most things, mad about many things, who was generous. I've come to believe that most people who feel we talk too much about money really never want to talk about money at all. Generous people enjoy talking about it. I have come to believe that there is a direct connection between a person's faith and a person's generosity. Those who give generously tend to become more faithful, and the reverse is true in both instances. As we have shared in these seven weeks, uh, there, there really is two ways to look at, at giving. There's this way. How much of my money should I use for God, or how much of God's money should I use for myself? According to Psalms, it all belongs to God. We don't give him, here's your 10%. Everything we spend on, every expenditure of that other 90% ought to be glorifying to him. I, I just want to give a couple of personal notes. Uh, personally, I have learned to a practice of, of tithing using the 10% principle. And we've tried to practice that to our church and that any of our offerings, I remember growing up every Sunday, I heard someone pray for our tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. We kind of say it in one. Well, there are different. And Israel was required to do that tithe, but then all these, all these offerings they could give. One was called a thank offering. For no other reason than to giving thanks for God. Personally, we practice tithing to the church, and what we give uh, others is our offering um, that we help out with. I'm not setting me up above anything else. I'm just saying that's that's what we've chosen to do. The second point is, as I made last week, we're we're really talking these seven weeks about discipleship, not stewardship. Stewardship is a sub category of what it is to be a disciple. Discipleship is the real essence of the Christian life. As I learn to abide in Him, then I reevaluate and reapportion my life's commitments. A third comment is regarding the tithe. As I shared before, it's found 37 times in the Old Testament, only two times in the New Testament. It's not a New Testament principle, but it is a foundational model. And I don't think the church should stray away from it. But please take all these ten principles, um, generosity and cheerfulness, I, I think all of those trump tithing. There's a... And, and all of this, fourthly, I, I just want to say personally, I think this is a biblical model for society. There would, be, there would never be a need for socialism if people in general gave voluntarily via that biblical model. And it's not a forced um, evening off of people's incomes. That's, that's socialism, that's communism, and that's not biblical. That is not biblical at all. I'm going to close with about four passages of Scripture. Um, and in conclusion to our, our series on stewardship slash discipleship, I just leave these passages and I think I've left the, 
the passages uh, themselves with you in the bulletin. From the book of Proverbs, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. How, how picturesque. Philippians 4, 18 and 19. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So Paul was talking to Corinth to give to Jerusalem, but others had also given to meet Paul's needs. These gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Third one is from 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Always read that right. It doesn't say money is the root of all evils. It says the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And finally from Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Since this enticement and love of money carries such potential for evil, even as a Christian, I must keep my head about money or money will keep my head. All that I have belongs to God. All of it. Call me a steward but never, never an owner. Father, you have entrusted us with so much. And we are blessed. We are so blessed. It was not by accident in the middle of our series. We had some of our family here go off to Haiti and see that intense poverty. Just to remind us of how much you've given to us. Uh, we, we complain about not meeting the bills and not having enough to do this. Make us mindful of your great gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. And make us mindful then in turn for all the gifts that you have given. And Father, give us hearts that are able to rejoice in our giving, to give cheerfully to give proportionately, to give generously, because those are your principles. And you will reward. I thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for each one that gives. And Father, for those that just, that just cannot, they find it impossible because of jobs or whatever it might be, Lord, would you touch their lives? And maybe some think they can't give and still can and it's not the amount. The amount never counts. It's the heart. It's the heart that counts. So Lord, bless each one. 
Thank you for your incredible gift. In Christ, we pray. Amen.